you cannot be a healthy person without another person. The phrase, no man is an island, because that is part of who we are. We are created to need connection, to need relationships, and we cannot grow as people and we cannot be in a healthy state emotionally without having others. And also not only what we get, but what we can provide. Emily and I are so excited to introduce you to our awesome guest today, Allison Petrie. Allison is a licensed professional counselor working for a nonprofit counseling center. She is a mom of two, wife to one, <laughs> you have to clarify that nowadays, a founder and contributor to the Mommy Therapist blog. She is a pizza enthusiast, a clumsy human, yes, and lover of humanity. And everything she does, she strives to protect the hurting and be an advocate for the silenced. Allison, you sound like a living saint. Thank you so much for being on our show today. It does make me sound way more um, impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are impressive. I'm like, you've got a pretty cool background. Well, thanks. So, Allison, we'd love to start off um, with one of our favorite questions. What did your morning look like today? Oh dear. Mornings are interesting because getting kids out of the door, especially a three-year-old that is being potty trained. Oh, I have one of those. Exciting. And then, you know, Cheerios on the go and running late and trying to get workout clothes so I can get a workout in and not really eating breakfast. I'm just now having coffee. It was a very scattered morning, as are most of them. I would like to say that's a an exception, but it's not. It sounds like my morning. (laughs) Same, same as mom's. Um, Allison, how old are your children? You mentioned you have a three year old. Yes, I have a three and a half year old, and I have a thirteen month old. Okay, that is a busy household, and I have a three year old and an eleven month old. So we are in very similar situations and times. So I feel you. Yes. Yes. Yes, I have my two-year-old and then I have what I call my bonus son, Chris, who is almost 15 years old. So I'm rougher than three. (laughs) It is. (laughs) It really is. I feel like I'm battling everything. I'm like, I'm battling the terrible twos and then I've got the teenage angst and attitude. So every day is very, very different. But, you know, I try to keep it light. (laughs) And you'll be coming up on three. Well, not until next, you know, towards the end of this year. But then you can say you have a three-nager. So you'll have a real teenager (laughs) and a three-nager living in your household. Yeah. I'm going to need all the help and prayers I can get. (laughs) Yes. So I'm, I'm really intrigued. Like, how did you get to where you are today, Allison? You know, being a mommy therapist is... Is this something that you aspired to be growing up or did you kind of just fall into it? I had no idea what I wanted to do. If you asked me at 12, I think my goal was to be a professional softball player or on Broadway. You know, of course, one of the two. (laughs) But I realized more and more just 
seeing the hurting people around me. I struggle with depression fairly badly in high school and college. And I knew I really wanted to work with hurting people. And I actually had a mentor that was a professional counselor, and she's the one who brought up the idea of going into counseling. And so that was kind of a thought that I never really considered. And once I thought about it and changed my major, I went into psychology as a minor. So Allison, how did you specifically get into working with moms as a therapist? Or could you explain like your therapy practice as it is today? I think working with moms came as a byproduct. When I started in my counseling classes in grad school and had to start working in a counseling center, I said I did not want to work with kids. And so, of course, I started having to work with kids. (laughs) And then right out of grad school, I did in-home counseling with at-risk kids, teens, and their families. And it was all Medicaid funded. And so some of them were kind of rough areas. And I started noticing so many moms that wanted what was best for their kids, did not know how to get there, didn't have anything modeled for them of how to parent. And it severely crippled their abilities. They had the heart, they had the ability, they had the intelligence, but no support. And so, in that, seeing how much moms hurt when they don't know how to help their kids. Before I became a mom, now I understand it to a better degree. Also in other organizations through my church and things like that, I am able to work with other young moms and help support, help give guidance. There are some people that have sought me out that I'm able to personally help with just giving them a direction to go if they're foster moms, if they're just trying to figure out the best direction to go and to help their kids. And I've started being able to help people on the side as well, not just professionally through my counseling practice. And then my counseling practice, I see ages six and up. So I see a variety of ages. However, a lot of it goes back to parenting goes back to their mom, goes back to mom hurt of these moms that I see that they're struggling how to parent their daughters because of how they were parented when they were younger. And it's just so much of a cycle. So today we wanted to bring you on the show because we wanted to focus on specifically loneliness and social isolation, which are two areas that you know, you talk a lot about on your blog and you have, you know, kind of an expertise on. Mm -hmm. Could you define those for us? Because they're mentioned a lot together, Mm -hmm. but I believe they're slightly different. Or could you just kind of unpack loneliness and social isolation, how they're related, how they're different? Social isolation is more situation specific. I feel like it's more not knowing or not being able to engage socially, whereas loneliness can happen in a crowded room. It's more emotion-specific and internal-specific to the person Mm -hmm. rather than the situation. And how do you see loneliness and isolation 
playing out in motherhood or what's the relationship between motherhood and loneliness and isolation potentially? There's so much. I think it starts with the newborn stage. You can't leave your house. You have to be so careful how many people you engage with. It's a very firm boundary between you and your non-kid friends. And it starts this situation where you can't engage with people. And then you're having trouble sleeping because this human won't let you sleep. And that continues to foster the the limited interactions you have with people because you don't feel like it. You don't want to or have no time to shower and you start smelling. You don't want to talk to people. You have no patience because you're sleep deprived. You start limiting how much you want to engage or it starts becoming a situation where you don't know how to engage in this new stage of life. Because even if you have friends with kids, they're not in the same place because you have this human that's very, very young. And once you've moved past that stage, sometimes you forget. And then it can increase the loneliness because I see socialization, social skills, all of that as a muscle. And the limited amount that you do that, the less you do that, the less you remember how. The more social you are, the easier it is for you and the more that you're able to work that muscle. And if you forget how to socialize with adults, you become more and more lonely because it becomes more vulnerable and more of an insecure place to engage with people outside of your children. You totally hit the nail on the head with that in the early stages with Violet. And, you know, I live in Chicago and she was born in the winter months. You know, I'm a transplant from California. So I, most of my family and friends are, you know, all in California. And I do have, I've since have made, you know, a decent amount of friends here. But when I first had Violet, I only had like one or two friends and they did not have kids and they live downtown and they're living the city life. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had no one to connect with. And then, you know, I would go these long stretches without socializing. And it's just like you said, where it's like, once you stop getting out there and socializing with friends and and you know i'm an I'm an extrovert, so I was just being stuck in the house all day with my screaming baby, and then you know I would be craving that interaction, but then, as the days went on, I felt like I wanted to interact, but I was too i don't know how to say it. I wasn't like scared or nervous, but it was like you said, a muscle where it's like if you're not using it, you kind of forget how to interact or how to you know start conversations and I was like, basically there'd be days where I'd go like four or five days without even leaving the house. Mm -hmm. And then I would be kind of scared to, and I don't even know if scare is the accurate word, but it's just like, maybe it's still because I was insecure about my body and I was, you know, running on empty. I didn't have the confidence to put my face forward or to reach out to people, even if it was just going to the store. Normally, you know, I, I'm the kind of person that would strike up a conversation with the person in line and 
or, you know, if I'm passing somebody in the aisle, I'll say good morning or hello. Well, I was like literally, you know, keeping my, you know, head between my tails. And so that definitely hits home for me. Like it was, it's the isolation and loneliness is so real in early motherhood. Mm-hmm. And Allison, I think you brought up a good point um, about how we're adjusting to this new identity, right? So I even remember in the early months with my firstborn, I was just so overwhelmed about the idea of getting out the door, like getting all this stuff together, the feeding schedule, the changing schedule, what I needed, how many clothes, like I had a winter baby. I live in New England. Like I would just get so worked up and the anxiety I would start to feel about it. I'd be like, it's not even worth it. Like (laughs) at this point, I'm just going to stay in. Um, And then also for me too, and I'd be interested just to, you know, maybe hear your perspective on this is that one of the main reasons that I isolated myself in early motherhood is that I had a lot of, and I mentioned this in other podcasts, breastfeeding challenges Mm -hmm. that I had to go to formula feeding very early. And I was very embarrassed about that. So I specifically would not go out when I knew my daughter needed to feed because I was embarrassed by the fact that I'd have to give her a bottle. And so because I had all of these like kind of norms about what I thought motherhood was, I isolated myself even more because I didn't feel like I fit. Um, And so that was sort of my experience. But then it like, it definitely snowballed, right? Because then between the overwhelm and then, you know, some of the thoughts I had around, you know, showing the way I was feeding, it was like, I had all these reasons to just stay at home and then Google things <laughs> related to that. So, you know, I, I'm not having any, um, any like exposure to other people in that time as well. So that's interesting because although I breastfed, I, I can relate to this because I felt the same way about breastfeeding in public. When I first started nursing, you know, I was too embarrassed to do it you know, in a restaurant, around friends and family, even with a cover on. And I would get really bashful. And I just didn't want to go outside if I knew that it was going to be around Violet's feeding time. So basically, any interactions I had going to the grocery store, visiting with family, I always tried to work it around Violet's feeding because I didn't want people to be around when I had to nurse her. So it's interesting how we both kind of felt the same, even though our circumstances were a little bit different. Allison, so we know that loneliness and isolation um, can be relatively normal in motherhood, especially early motherhood. But what are some of the warning signs that loneliness and isolation may be beyond the norm for a mother? When is it not okay? I think a few things that can be like, oh, hey, this is a red flag is especially if you don't even want to engage in the few safe people that you know. Everyone hopefully has one or two. Even reaching out to them or talking to them on the phone or getting coffee if you have the time, if all of that just seems too much, that can be a sign that it's a problem because it's someone that you've already established a relationship with someone that you know cares about you, that you know won't judge you, and there's a barrier for that, then that's a definite sign that there's an issue. One thing that is hard to 
I think tell with young motherhood is, okay, is this outside the norm of loneliness to where it's dipping into depression or is this sleep deprivation? They have very similar symptoms. So it's also good to look at that. If things are starting to get so overwhelming and so devastating, the small things, it can be good to have a parent, a spouse, a friend, someone take over maybe one one night for you just to see if maybe sleep can help with some of that because sleep does really affect our emotions. There's also an issue of mom guilt, which is going to be there, unfortunately. But when it incapacitates us to where we do not feel like we can make any decisions, that's a definite red flag. If we start getting into the headspace of, I'm a terrible mom, I'm a terrible spouse, I'm a terrible friend, and it spirals us into a place of darkness where we cannot see any light, where we cannot see anything positive about our life or ourselves, and we stay there for an extended period of time, make no attempts to get out, and do not welcome any attempts to pull us out, that's also another issue. It's hard because in normal life, not taking care of yourself, like not brushing your teeth, not taking showers, things like that are a definite warning sign. But if you have young kids, sometimes you don't have that option. And so that can't be a red flag. However, later on with older kids, if that's becoming a repeated pattern of not taking care of yourself, even if it's a simple shower, if it's getting out of the house occasionally during the week, those are signs that it's turning into something more serious, if not taken seriously. Allison, you just mentioned um, having older kids. And if, if that's still happening when you're having older kids in your work, do you see this affecting primarily new moms, or do you find that moms of all seasons experience isolation and loneliness? All seasons. I mean, the older the kids get, the more decisions you have to make for them, and the more mom guilt and mom shaming that can come with that, which causes hesitation to engage. I mean, it's like putting your hand to pet a dog. If the dog nips at you, you don't want to do that again even if it's a different dog. So sometimes with kids, with the way that you discipline, with the type of school they go to, with whether you're working or you're at home, with the type of food that you feed them, with their extracurricular activities, with dinner time, with anything, someone has an opinion and that opinion can get a little crazy and it can turn into almost isolation as a form of self-protection. And then also your kids are doing more. So you're doing more with them. And if it's not intentional, I'm engaging with other people my age, it can get forgotten and you can lose yourself. Hmm, That's so interesting. That's really interesting, especially coming from we're 
you know, both coming from the perspective of having young children right now. And so that's really interesting to, to look at it from that other angle. Anecdotally, I have a friend who um, was talking to me about isolation with teens and experiencing that because there's so much comparison at that mm-hmm. age. And Brandy, you might have some experience with this with Chris, but that no one wants to talk about the challenges that they're having with their children because they want to make it seem like everything is going well. And, you know, we're not struggling through, you know, challenges around talking about drugs or whatever the situation is or grades in school because people are really keeping it close to their vest um, at, at those ages. So that was just, that was an interesting perspective for, for me that I had not thought of before. Yeah, I can, I can totally relate to this. Um, and I think for my situation, it's a little bit unique since I am part of a blended family and I do tend to overshare and be vocal when it comes to matters involving Violet, um, who's a two-year-old. Um, because Chris, you know, since, you know, he has another mom, I have to be mindful about sharing details of like what we're going through. So I feel like I have to kind of keep my struggles quiet (laughs) out of respect for her and out of respect for him, you know, too, because, you know, his friends are on social media and stuff. So, you know, I don't want to embarrass him or put him in a negative light. Um, but more recently, because he is a freshman um, and the you know the school year is winding down, both my husband and I have been kind of experiencing like a level of sadness because we know that we literally only have three more years with him until he's off to college. Mm-hmm. So I find myself um, cutting him breaks a little bit more because I'm like, you know what? He's only going to be here a couple more years. I... I don't want him to have, you know, this image of us of like we were just always harping on him about his grades or this and that. But we're also, you know, we're preparing ourselves mentally. It's almost like we're grieving before he's leaving. Mm-hmm. It's like we're anticipating his departure. And it's very weird to be essentially like grieving a person when they're still alive. Um, and I'm not, to, and I don't mean that to sound like, you know, gruesome or weird or anything, but it's, you know, we, we, we think a lot about the future. Both my husband and I are both very, you know, focused on goals and we're always focused on the future. And we're thinking of like, okay, in three years, Chris isn't going to be here and Violet's going to be pretty much like an only child, you know, cause Chris is an adventurous kid and he wants to go to college out of state and, you know, he's close with us, but at the same time, you know, he values his free time with his friends and he wants to have that college experience of partying and, you know, just being with his friends without his parents hovering over him. So now that I feel like I'm a little bit out of the early motherhood isolation, I feel like now I'm going towards this new sense of loneliness, like anticipating him leaving. And it, and it's weird because I'm like, I feel like it's just some days I'm just sad because we will we'll have like a really good day together. We'll connect really well and we'll laugh together and joke around because he's kind of a ham like I am. And then I just start thinking and I overthink and I'm like, gosh, he's oh, he's only going to be here a couple more years. I can't believe it. And then I start getting emotional. And <laughs> but I guess that's just what being a mom is about, you know, the ebbs and flows of life and whatnot. 
I know that in one of your um, posts on the mommy therapist, you talk about isolation being the greatest thief of motherhood. Could you explain what you mean by that and why you think that is? It can take away the joy you can experience with your family, the, the savoring of the moments, knowing that they're fleeting, because it becomes almost monotonous because that's all you see and that's all you do is take care of your family. And you don't, I guess, experience time apart to appreciate it, if that makes sense. Whether it's, okay, I'm getting a babysitter just so I can go grocery shopping. Any time away, if used, I guess, intentionally, can cause more appreciation because you realize that this is yours and this is your family and this is something that won't last forever. And it can take away any positive emotions or positive moments because it's hard to appreciate it when that's all you know. Yes, no, that makes that makes total sense. I'm also interested um, in kind of things that might contribute to loneliness and isolation. Um, and I was actually thinking about this this morning um, as I was walking my dog, which is typically <laughs> when my mind starts to work, but how some of um, the, some of our, the current state of our world, I guess you could say, could contribute to it. So what are your thoughts on how things like social media and Instagram and looking at other people's motherhood experiences, like how do things like that maybe contribute to isolation and loneliness? And I don't know, is there anything that we can do about that or we should be aware of? I think social media is a huge drain on relationships. Often they can be great for long distance and things like that, but it's similar to teenage years where you think you have this great friendship with these group of moms and then you see them doing something together and you're like, oh, hey, thanks for that. I guess I'm not good enough. And then it spirals that insecurity that you thought you outgrew and things like that. But also, I know you've heard the phrase, it's comparing someone's highlight reel to your behind the scenes. So mm -hmm. you see your messy house, yet someone posts, posts a picture of their clean house. Though what you don't know is they, you know, shoved all of the toys behind them before they took the picture. You know, things like mm -hmm. that where you see their clean house and you look at yours and it's overwhelming and gross and filled with the little Legos you step on all the time. Or you see all the activities they're doing with their kids and you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't think about doing an activity with them. I'm just letting them play. Or you see all of these things that cause comparison and anytime we compare, we come up short. Mm. That's so true. so much that we don't do because we can't, we have to choose 
the things that we are able to do. And that's okay. Everyone mothers differently. And that is okay. You have your strengths in who you are, in your personality, and how you love your kids. But we can't revel in our strengths because we compare them to someone else's. And that's not our thing. And that's okay. But we feel like we have to be strong in every area, which does not allow vulnerability, does not allow authenticity, and keeps us bottled up because we feel like everyone else is doing it better than we are. Totally. When I was earlier, I had mentioned some of my challenges with my firstborn and I really found myself getting into like the depths of scrolling through things, like living a lot of like trying to get connection Mm -hmm. off of the computer, (laughs) like whether it was like looking for answers to things, getting feedback, posting on message boards, um, looking at the way other people were doing things. And I did have this, and I don't even remember what it was, but this reality check moment of like, you need to get out of this funk. Like mm-hmm. you need to. And one of the first things I ended up doing is I went to like a group for new moms at the hospital where I had my daughter and I was like, just show up. Like the first time, like just show up. You don't have to talk. You don't have to feed your baby. Like you don't have to do anything. Like just show up. And it took so much energy and effort. But I feel like that was my turning point in my experience with isolation and loneliness early on. And, and part of it was just because I, I really did find myself <laughs> identifying way too much with social media. Um, and I, I just didn't feel like that that was healthy. So thank you for departing in, in the social media kind of avenue because I, I feel like that's something for us to think about as moms when we are really starting to feel like I haven't gotten out. You know, I don't feel like I have a community of people. Sometimes we almost have this like artificial feeling of being yes. connected to people because you liked their photo or someone commented on your like overly engineered family photo. But... <laughs> <laughs> I have one of those out there today, but it's not a true connection, right? You're not really like re like fueling yourself. Like you said, it's, it's kind of more of a drain on, on relationships. It's absolutely artificial because you see only what they want you to see. And people are starting to move more toward vulnerable posts. You know, people are starting to post, okay, this is what my house really looks like, or this is what my day looked like. And here are the places that maybe didn't go so well. However, even that, it's not 100% authentic because you are allowing people to see it and you don't have to hear any feedback necessarily. You don't have to sit face to face with somebody and share your struggles and all the emotion that comes with it in a true social interaction. It's That's true. so true. I never thought of it like that. And you were early on talking about flexing those social muscles too, because you can lose that, right? That ability to understand how to interact. And also you're trying to figure out how to interact as a parent now. So you're trying to, you know, maybe have social interactions independently, but then also interact with other people while your kids are there and like managing that. And yeah, that's really, really interesting. 
So I wanted to also talk a little bit about your blog. Isolation is not necessarily always a bad thing. You know, we've been bringing up a lot about how isolation and loneliness can really obviously isolate you, but make you feel separate from other people and not necessarily contribute to your overall well-being and mental health. Mm -hmm. But could you give us some examples of why that might be true, that isolation is sometimes the best option? Sometimes when our pattern is to engage with toxic people, it can be helpful to to separate ourselves from that and to take time to heal because there are a lot of toxic people out there and a lot of times they find themselves in our own family. And so sometimes that can be good to take a step back and go, okay, I've been severely hurt. I'm going to put up these boundaries to isolate myself for a small amount of time. This is not a prolonged thing that is healthy, but sometimes it's necessary to heal, to be able to get to a better place where we can then re-engage. It can also be helpful if we are able to focus on our family for a while to establish the culture of our home. Sometimes we can be so engaged outside of our home that we forget that we're creating a foundation for our children. And so being able to take time and focus almost inward in terms of the home and be able to establish the patterns that we want to establish to have the foundation that we want and be able to identify what we want our home to be and our family to be, that can be a good byproduct of not having places we need to go or things we need to do and just take a moment and rest alongside our children, and those in our home. However, it's not for a prolonged amount of time. It can be for a season. And a lot of times we find ourselves in seasons of isolation, whether it's being a new parent or moving or switching jobs or things that take us outside of our norm. And being able to sit in that and know it's for a season and be able to find the positives of it and to find the growth in it can be helpful. I like that. I like being able to see the positives in the, and the negatives and the down, the down times. I'm a, I'm one of those optimists where, <laughs> and sometimes people can find it annoying because I'm always looking at things, you know, with the glass half full and sometimes you have to be real and say, no, this is hard and there is no positives. But I, I always believe that there are, takeaways from every bad experience or bad matter. For those moms who are listening, who are feeling lonely or isolated, what are some ways to build connection? What are some things that maybe have worked for you or for your clients? The biggest thing is finding finding ways to meet people. And that is so hard because it means being vulnerable, opening yourself up to rejection, And it's like the first day of school all over again. And that can be so difficult. However, there are tons of resources. I think people are starting to realize more and more how much moms need their own community. And so it can be a group at the library. It can be a mom workout group. And it's it's okay, obviously, to have friends that aren't moms, but it's also good to have some friends that are because our struggles are often different. They look different. They might be same at the core, but they are different. And so it can be a group at a church. It can be a group from social media. It's not the worst thing. 
it's a way to meet people that then you can engage with outside. However, it is so hard, but it can be the best thing that you can do for yourself and as an extension for your family and for your children, because a healthy mom grows healthy kids. Yeah. So I don't know if you have heard about this latest thing that's happened with the British government. I think it was last year. British government actually appointed a minister for loneliness. And it was a new mom. Her name was, I think, Tracy Crouch. The new role was created to look at strategies for dealing with what health professionals around the world are calling an epidemic of isolation and disconnection, which obviously my personal opinion is because of social media is big, big piece to blame. But do you think the best ways to combat loneliness is through government social programs? Or do you think we should be focusing more on the informal and the formal community activities? Like you mentioned, you know, the Facebook groups or, you know, maybe mom groups, but I'm interested to know your, your thoughts on this. I think both can be helpful. I think in ways that, you know, governmental programs and things like that could help could be providing more affordable mental health care. Because when people are getting help with their struggles with trauma, with loneliness, with emotional coping, with things like that, it can help them come from a healthier place and have less insecurity so that they can go out and do things more informally. However, it's hard to regulate social interaction. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's not really something you can do. So the biggest way to combat isolation and to combat loneliness is through vulnerability and authenticity. And unfortunately, that only happens informally. It happens when you take the initiative and you are intentional and you start it because it takes one person. Man, I can listen to you all day, Allison. (laughs) You're like a wealth of knowledge. You're like the mummy friend that I wish I had in Chicago. Um, but no, that's I appreciate your your opinions on that because I was wondering how what you would think about that. I mean, obviously you're coming with from a counselor background, so you know social services are are important. But I thought it was kind of odd initially when I read this article, and I'm like, a minister for loneliness, and like, oh my gosh, has it come to that time, like in our world where we have people regulating our social interactions? <laughs> like, our doctor is going to present prescribe like, okay, you need two hours of talk time each day. It's just, I thought it was very, very interesting. That is interesting. (laughs) I hadn't heard that. (laughs) Well, I think it's also interesting, um, Allison, where you were talking about the importance of going out in community and things like that. And I know for me personally, I never really felt drawn to joining like a mom's group. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I don't know. It just... I kind of bristled at it for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. But what I found helpful is I actually started to um, grow a community from a gym I belonged to and started Mm -hmm. to like be more vulnerable and just talk about what was going on in my life. I met other parents with young children. We already had some things in common. And so that was a really natural progression for me. So as we're talking, it's just making me think of, well, one, like you were saying earlier, like you have to make time for yourself too. And mm-hmm. so for me, making time for myself to do things that I like to do naturally, I was able to kind of build a community out of that that supported me um, and helped me to not isolate myself as well. I also work from home too. So I'm like, Ooh, to like that. I, I oh, oh. all different fronts. 
Um, but I think it's just important too. So if you're not someone who like wants to go to the, you know, the, um, the hospital after you had a baby, you know, support group or join a mom's group or something like there's a lot of other ways that you can build connection with people. It's just really getting yourself out there. Um, but it doesn't have to be so like formulaic either. Right. And it, it can even be meeting a mom at the playground, but it does take that moment of vulnerability to begin the conversation and then to be intentional about following up. And how do you think community helps your experience as a mother? Like, what are your thoughts on when you're able to share some of your struggles or challenges and talk to other people about it? You know, that's really the motivation for me and Brandy to start this podcast is we were having these experiences in our own head, in our own world and thinking like, are other people going through these things? You know, I'm not sure. And so what do you think like building those connections and having community does for you as a mom? How does it help? Not only just as a mom, as a person, I think we always strive to be validated in how we feel and what we do. And in safe communities, we get that validation. We get the empathy of someone just recognizing that this is hard and it's okay that it's hard. You get people to come alongside you and support you, whether it's emotionally, physically, both. It can transform so many things because you do not feel alone. And loneliness and feeling alone is the greatest enemy in some ways because you cannot be a healthy person without another person. The phrase, no man is an island, because that is part of who we are. We are created to need connection, to need relationships, and we cannot grow as people and we cannot be in a healthy state emotionally without having others. And also not only what we get, but what we can provide. Because we can support other people, we can encourage them, and in some ways we get part of the benefit because we are engaging at a basic level of what we crave. Because we crave community, we crave relationships, and we crave the interactions we have that are reciprocal and where we can just support others and have them support us. This has been amazing. Um, I, I would love to hear. I'm just like sitting here thinking about everything. I'm like, wow. I'm like, I need to hire Allison as like my life coach slash counselor because like I'm just seriously sitting here pondering and it's very rare that I'm at a loss for words because I normally have trouble like interrupting people. I'm working on it, but I'm literally just at a loss for words. I'm just digesting all of this and I'm I'm so glad we got to talk to you today, Allison. I had fun. Hefty topics, but you know yes. that's that's what we're here to talk about. But Allison, we would love to hear what are you excited about? What do you have going on um, professionally or personally, um, or both in 2020 that's getting you all jazzed up? <laughs> all jazzed up. Um, <laughs> I'm. This sounds so nerdy. But in a couple of weeks, maybe, I think it's maybe March, I'm going to be able to go to this trauma training. I really enjoy, I don't know if Joyce enjoys the right word, working with people who have a history of trauma. And I'm able to go to this training that I've been to before 
So it'll be kind of a refresher, but I get to go with my husband who is a social worker and also my parents. My dad is a marriage counselor and my mom, who's a director of emotional health kind of um, at a church. And so all four of us are able to go to this training and I'm super excited because my dad and I are the only ones who've been through it before. And so to get to learn alongside these people I love and be able to engage about it and to be able to learn again some things that I may have forgotten because it's been a few years. So I'm really excited about that. I'm also excited about the Mommy Therapist blog because it hasn't even been going for a year. So I'm excited to continue to work on that. And then <laughs> this, once again, sounds ridiculous, but hey. Um, so my husband and I both got our master's degrees. We have student loans. It's the worst. So trying to think of something I can do at home because, hey, can't have clients at my home because that's weird. So things I can do when kids are around, when they're napping, um, I'm starting to hand paint these um, kind of glasses, glass votive type containers and make essential oil candles and sell them to kind of help work down some of that student loan debt. So I'm starting to do that as well. Well, that's so cool. And it's a creative outlet too, right? Exactly. And I love to be creative. So there's, so there's that. That's awesome. And also then you can be focusing on that. That's fun during nap time rather than just trying to like do the dishes and run yourself ragged (laughs) during nap time, which I'm sure you still have those days. Well, Allison, we were so happy to have you here today. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we're kind of on a mission to tackle some taboo topics about motherhood. <laughs> well, um, Allison Petrie, where can our listeners find you if they would like to learn more about you um, or your services? So there is the Mommy Therapist blog, which they can find at themommytherapist.home.blog. And that kind of can direct to the Instagram page and there's some about me stuff on there as well. And we'll also have that information linked in the episode notes, the link to your blog as well as your Instagram and I believe your other practice, um, the Veritas. Yes. Um, so we'll have those for available for our listeners too if they're interested in learning more about you or your services and just seeing what an awesome person you are. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Mom After Hours. If you'd like to connect with our guest, Mommy Therapist Allison Petrie, or learn more about anything we mentioned in today's show, check out the show notes at momafterhours.com forward slash episodes to share us with your mom friends if you enjoyed our show and tag us on Facebook or Instagram of how you stay connected in motherhood. And if you're struggling like us, we are always here for you, Mama. Until next time, Mamas.